1: DipsyStories.com slash Just Break Up.
0: Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra Demolder,
1: And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like dating racists, not getting (laughs) off, and being a perfectionist, dating a perfectionist wow but, yeah it's gonna be a great episode uh but before we begin we just want to give you our surgeon general's warning which is that we are not licensed therapists
0: right we are not licensed in any way to do this other than our own goddamn free will and <laughs> so uh please take our advice as you see fit Sam and I are not professionals, we're only here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. So, what's up, Sam? (laughs) Welcome to whatever episode this is. I think it's like, I think we're like 98 now.
1: Almost 100. We should probably plan for 100. Holy
0: moly. (laughs) And our two-year anniversary is coming up on July 18th of 2020, we will be... We will have done this for two years. That's crazy. I know. That is longer than a lot of my relationships. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. I can only name maybe one that has gone past the two-year mark.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, the sad thing is there are two, other than the one that I'm currently in, um, there are two, uh, but the but the one was just so awful and... Uh, <laughs> She cheated on me constantly, so I cannot literally believe that was two years. Anyway, mm. um, <laughs> and so how long did you live with your ex? I just want to bring that up.
1: Yeah, just uh, two years. So like, okay,
0: good, good, good. So we've our podcast has been doing this been... for as long
1: as I lived with my ex, which is great. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine? <laughs> okay, moving on. So we have actually have a really fun check-in topic for today. Uh, one that we've. I, in the two years. I don't know if it's
1: fun. That's awful. It's
0: not fun. It, yeah, that's the right word. But I don't know how we haven't talked about this. Um, we got a check in. We had a letter from someone named Anonymous Anonymous who's writing to us from the void. And I'm going to paraphrase it, even though it was pretty brief. Um, but it was basically like the post-breakup process where you have to explain to everyone that you know that you've ended the relationship. Um, the letter writer goes on to say that they ended this relationship. Um And that like breakups are hard enough, but they are dreading these conversations, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes um, to close friends and families. And because they seemed like they were doing well. So it's not like a, it's not like a, oh yeah, I saw that coming. Um, But I mean, real talk, like all breakups are awful. And the weird communication guidelines around them like how, how do we talk about it afterwards it's hard and I don't know if I've ever seen or heard anyone else talk about like what do you do after a breakup and how do you tell what is the etiquette what's the social etiquette mm-hmm. of like telling friends and family um,
1: yeah I mean I think that there is no social etiquette which is what makes it difficult is that right. like it's not something that we talk about of like oh yeah here's here's how we do it but right. instead just like everyone's like fending for themselves and being like I don't know
0: Right. And the last um, sentence in this letter, I want to say before we like dive in is, do I just group text everyone I've ever met and get it over with? (laughs) Which reminds me of... You can. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It reminds me of uh, the couple times that I've seen people like um, intentionally uncouple or announce their divorce or or whatever online or their breakup online um, where they just make a and I'm saying this because I I respect it and I think it's an option, is that you can make a Facebook post if you are a Facebook user and just say it and state it in whatever nice, neutral way you want. However, I think what I want to talk about here with you more than anything is like the weird obligation that we feel to tell people and like what is real and what isn't real. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, let's first talk about like, what are the actual obligations that we have and then how to navigate those moving forward? Yeah. Because we, we don't have to tell anyone.
1: No, you don't. I mean, that's at the end of the day, it's, it's your business. Um, and I, you don't have to tell anyone, right? Like no one is, no one is, um, Mm-hmm. should expect to have that access to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, if you don't want to tell anyone, you don't have to, it's going to make things weird because you're going to have to like <laughs> be in conversation with people and like not tell them about it. But, um, but like, I would love for you to think about this process instead of being like, Oh, how do I make sure that all these other people aren't comfortable or are comfortable and know, and instead think like, who do I need to know to make things better for me? Or who do I need to tell in order to make this process easier for me? Right. Um, Now, one of the things that I have seen people do, so I've seen, yeah, the Facebook post that's like, hey, everyone, just FYI, we are breaking up. It's amiable. Right, we separated, right. Right. We just want people to know so that we don't have to like literally tell every single person in our life next time we see them. Right. Um, I've also seen people be like, hey, best friend, who's like with me during this breakup process, can you tell people about it so that mm-hmm. I don't have to, so that next mm-hmm. time I see them, they know, but I don't have to be like, Hey, Doug and I broke up like, mm-hmm. Ooh. Doug that dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is like, honestly, I used that tactic when my dad died. So like yeah, it worked totally. really well for me uh, yep. in that instance. And I think it could also work really well <clears throat> in a breakup too.
0: Yeah. To, to see if your friend can do some of that, light labor to make your load, um, like a little lighter, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that like, it's important to say people aren't obligated to you, you know, your priority right now is to take care of yourself and your mental wellness and your boundaries and your priorities. Um, but I think the letter writer and you, Sam, bring up the, the very, important thing is that like sometimes those mass notices or like letting people know in advance is an act of kindness to yourself. And so mm-hmm. like, even if it's uncomfortable now to send that mass text message or to ask your friend to do the labor for you, it's so that you can better move on with your life. It's like, I think about like, how how can I navigate conversations at a party if somebody's like, oh, how is so-and-so? And so you are like, oh, well, we broke up actually. Am I going to like burst into tears? <laughs> or am I going to... <laughs> Like respect, you know, like, can I, can I hang if somebody asked me about it or, um, am I going to like, you know, badmouth this person for the next 10 hours at this party, even though that they're like across the room or Mm -hmm. can I, do I trust myself and my boundaries and my healing well enough to where I can say, oh, we separated, but, um, but it was a good choice for everyone Mm -hmm. or, or even better, like not even to like, not even to like, like spit polish it. You can say. Uh, We broke up. um, I don't really want to talk about it, but thanks for asking, you know, and that's okay. We can, we can, we can, that's another way to, to manifest our boundaries is to recognize what people have access to us and what they are owed versus what is real sort of thing and, and what you want to participate in. You don't have to tell the story of your breakup to everyone. Mm -mm. Oh man, though. Confession though. I'm really bad at like asking a lot of personal questions. And I think it's because of the work you and I do. I just like (laughs) always want to talk about it. And I think luckily people want to talk about it with me for one reason or another, but I I'm, I'm checking myself to, to, to make sure to not ask for things that people don't offer. Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: yes. And I think, you know, I think that we can ask people, We just have to be okay with people saying no. (laughs) Like I'm not going to answer that question, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like I wish, which is not always the case. I mean, I wish that we had some of those rules around. Like you can ask a question, but you have to be okay with the answer being no. But we we don't necessarily. No, we don't. Which is, I'm a I'm an asker, not an assumer. So like, it's really challenging for me when I come up against an assumer who's like oh, if you ask me the question, I have to answer it. And I'm like, no, you could absolutely tell me no. (laughs) Like, I'm okay with the no.
0: (laughs) An asker, an assumer. I think I'm an assumer, probably.
1: I think you are too, which I think is probably the course, like, the source of the conflicts conflicts. that we've had.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The source of all of our conflicts. (laughs) Uh, I don't know uh, Uh. what you, like, I don't know the parameters of that, but I'm just guessing because I feel... Um, I feel obli- lots of obligation that is unstated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not in yep. our relationship, but in t- to all relationships. Um. Anyway, getting 100%. back on t- topic. Um. So, how have you done this in the past? Like, how have you told people of your breakup?
1: Um. Mostly, I've told like select friends, and then mm-hmm. sort of let them make the the news more well known. Um, I feel like I've also, I've, I've been a type, the type of person when someone's like, Oh, how is Paul doing? And being like, Oh, we broke up and not inviting further conversation about it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or like them saying like, what happened? And be like, Oh, it was, it was fine. It just happened. Right. Instead of trying to like yeah,
0: shutting it down.
1: Yep. Just shutting it down. Um, which I think like has worked well for me. And I think about like. I think about also when my dad died and having to like make that information known as well. And I think this is similar in breakups is that like what I found the, what I find the most frustrating about telling people is that then I immediately get people's sympathy, um, which I don't want.
0: Right. Yeah. No, (laughs) no, you do not like sympathy. (laughs) No,
1: like I just don't like, it doesn't, it doesn't help me in any way. Like I love when people are like thinking of you or like, Literally, when we're having this conversation, it's Father's Day, right? Like, this is a very mm-hmm. hard day for me. And my friend Heather, who you've met, podcast people, if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon, um, just sent me a text that said, like, love you, thinking of you. And, like, mm. that is the kind of, like, love mm-hmm. and sympathy that I love is, like, okay. I love that you are letting me know that you're there if I need you, but you're not being like, what can I do for you? Like, how are mm-hmm. you feeling? Like that stuff doesn't work for me. This mm-hmm. is really off topic. I'm sorry. But I was thinking like, um, one of the things that like when talking to people who had gone through similar grief was like, you get to control who you talk to about what, right? Like people are going to ask you questions and you are allowed to say like, you don't get, I, I don't, I'm not going to answer that. Yeah. Um, and I think the the same thing, it can be similar with breakups too, right? Like breakups are a form of grief, right? You're, totally. You've lost something that's really important to you or you've lost a person or you've lost a, a stability of, of a relationship. Um, and so I think you can say like you're in a grieving process and you don't know anyone, anything except to process your own grief so that you can begin to move forward.
0: Right. Exactly. Do you, do you feel like you, you, you don't use Facebook, but like, do you feel like a, um, a way about the Facebook post?
1: I think it's great if that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, I've seen people do it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I appreciated. it. Like I, know, right? I had some friends that were like, Oh wow. Why did these people think that they're like Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin? But I was like, <laughs> Breaking up his heart, though, and like telling people, like it's easier for me now as a person who like knows that person but doesn't know them very well to know mm-hmm. that like oh I shouldn't ask about
0: so and so this yeah. person
1: right like I should yeah oh now I can file that information away so that next time I see one of you I'm not like hey what's going on with John's new job like right it allows You're me really to into be a names more informed today
0: <laughs> we've gotten Doug Paul John. <laughs>
1: Just, like, very one-syllable boys. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I appreciate them. I think when I see them, I do always think, do people feel obligated to do that? Which is sort of, Um. I guess, me just just thinking about making sure people are setting up boundaries in this really tender time. To our letter writer or anyone answering, I don't think that there's any, like, right or wrong way, but I do I would urge people and I think you'll agree with this. It's like, just take your time. Let, Mm -hmm. let your intuition guide you. What do you feel like? What do you have the bandwidth for right now? What do you have access to? What do you feel like saying? And, and know that sitting in silence can definitely be an answer, you know, or like Sam said, saying, I don't really want to talk about that. Or like, I'm not going to answer that right now. Um, Or not letting people know this thing happened. Like, don't feel like the big thing that you have to do right now is to tell all, all your people. The big thing you or, need to do yeah. right now is to is to process what's happening and make sure that you can grow or reestablish your boundaries or your, ha- or your habits or however you're going to treat yourself during this very vulnerable time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you could even use a script to tell people, right? You could mm-hmm. be like, hey... Uh, so-and-so and I just wanted to let you know that so-and-so and I broke up. I don't really want to talk about the details of it right now, but please know that I am safe and supported and, um, you know, am am working through what this means mm-hmm. for me. Right. Don't invite other questions. Like, because I think one of the things that that is hard when somebody tells you, like, they broke up is like are you okay? Like, do you have people that are taking care of you? Like, are, is someone like making you a meal or is like, are you going to therapy? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like very well-meaning, but I think being able to say like, just, I am safe and I, and I am supported, like sort of gets rid of that too. Because I think a lot of people are like, know that they're not supposed to ask a lot of questions about details, but then want to ask a lot of questions about like how they can mm-hmm. help. And so yeah. shutting that down in the beginning is also helpful.
0: Good. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. We hope this helps. Um, I sort of can't believe we've never talked about it before. Um, I think I did a similar route as you. It's like I told a couple people that were close to me and then just like went on with my life, <laughs> um, you know, and, and dealt and with.
1: Yeah. It is inevitable that like you're going to run into someone who doesn't know and you're going to have to be like, oh, well, this I yeah. broke up. <laughs> right Yeah. But I think that's also just like a part of life is that we're always going to be in situations where something that hurts us or something that has grieved us is going to come up because of the ignorance of people or because people are not being super kind. Right. Um, And it's like, and I think it gets easier every time that that happens to be able to be like, Oh no, we just broke up. Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: Or like we broke up like six months ago. Where have you been? What planet are you on? Right. Right
0: right exactly okay uh yeah i'm sure folks can dm us with some other ideas too do you want to get into our letters
1: yeah let's do it
0: this first one (laughs) i can't wait i mean i can wait i'm (laughs) i just i'm intrigued on what you're gonna say
1: yeah i'm intrigued what you're gonna say too (laughs) All right, right, so this letter comes from Eugene Listener, who's writing from Oregon. Hey, y'all. First off, I wanted to say that I love your podcast so much. I'll keep my love short because I know you probably hear the same thing a million times a day, but it's true. You are amazing. Now for my question, but first a little background. My partner, male, and I, both 24, have been together for a little under two years. We live together and have been talking about engagements, shopping for rings, I have not been in a relationship this long before because I just loved being single and hooking up. Around a year into relationships is usually when I start to nitpick the relationship until it ends, but for some reason I haven't done that here. I'm a senior in college majoring in queer studies, focusing on women's reproductive rights, and my boyfriend has already graduated. The problem lies within his use of language I don't agree with. He uses gay the same way many high school students do, which I feel is childish and honestly makes me really sad. I'm a freaking queer studies major for goodness sake. Clearly not cool. He also uses language such as retarded to describe things. Again, not cool. I have brought up my concern with him and told him, especially with the field I'm going into, he cannot be talking like that. But even if I wasn't, that's not okay. That's not an okay thing to say. His response is, I know, I'll work on it, and I have been seeing some improvement, but if it were up to me, he would stop completely and immediately. There are some other things, like the fact that he doesn't know the difference between a vagina and a uterus, that really bother me, and make me feel like I'm dating a 12-year-old sometimes. He said something about a vagina when talking about a uterus on the phone with a friend of his, who pointed out that he needed to take an anatomy lesson, which which made me think that he just honestly doesn't know. I'm focusing on reproductive rights, dude, come on. You can't act like this and date a Feminist. I guess where my question lands is, how do I bring this up again without being mean? I have always had amazing communication, so I don't fear backlash, but just don't feel like this is something I should even have to talk about. He sent a Snapchat today saying that something was gay, and I literally thought, I can't marry a man who talks like that but I love him. I just don't know what to do. Any help or advice you have is appreciated. I feel like just break up suits here, but I also trust that he's willing to change. Is this something that he will grow out of? Or am I stuck with this until I choose to leave? Thank you so much. Lovelies.
0: Thank you so much. You Eugene listener. Um, I, I have to just say really quickly that I'm i I'm about to like laugh and judge um, and make snarky <laughs> comments a ton. Um, Well, not judge. uh, That's the wrong word. But I want to just clarify, Eugene, listener, that um, I respect you. And I think that this question is really genuine. And I respect your love and your relationship. Um, But before I dive into this, I just want to be like, what decade is this? (laughs) (laughs) I just needed to say that caveat that, like, um, I love you, dear listener. And I respect your relationship and, and your genuine love. I know that this is real, right? But I also just have to laugh with you, Sam, like what fucking decade are we in right now um, that people are still saying these things and, and, and I just, I just don't know. And I agree with the letter writer. It's like a 13 year old, two boys, like bike past my house last weekend and one of them yelled back, the last one home is gay. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) what the, like, not even that I was insulted by that because like, So you're a, this is a a competition in which you're not gay by biking (laughs) home. Like I just, I was, I wanted to just be like, you aren't cool. (laughs) Like I just wanted to (laughs) yell that, (laughs) but maybe that's like my, you know, elementary school trauma coming out.
1: (laughs) That's legit. I got called Uh, gay a lot. That's what made me gay. I'm pretty sure.
0: Oh yeah, uh, I just I don't started know. believing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I this is it, it's this is obviously like a straightforward topic for you and I. Like we don't use this language very intentionally, but I do think it's a, it's it's an interesting letter because it's like how do you navigate um, uh, pushing the other p- people around you to be better, especially in this time of our global this global conversation about white power and white supremacy. Cause I noticed you said a racist boyfriend in the intro.
1: I did. Yeah. Cause I thought that it was, we could tackle yeah. many topics in this because yeah, racism, yeah, yeah, homophobia, ableism are all interconnected and intersectional. Um, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who are, are dating people right now who use inappropriate language or are questioning white uh, supremacy or white privilege um, and thought it would be an opportunity to talk about the importance of having these types of conversations Mm. in relationships um, with people and, um, and sort of asking ourselves what we are okay with our partners doing and what we're not okay with them doing.
0: Yeah. So letter writer, we are, Our frustration is not, I I, I just want to clarify, our frustration is not pointed at you because we understand that you understand all of this. This is what you're studying. This is what you're, you are a student of and they're paying to become an expert in, you know, intersectional um, ideas like queerness and sexuality and reproductive rights, right? So you know all of this. I think Sam and I are just sort of like, especially with the national conversations going on, like we see an opportunity here and we're also just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, I think I am always sensitive to make sure people know that we're not, not like directing our frustration at them. Um, so yeah, uh, this is, this is not, well, is this a just breakup moment for you? Um, in their relationship or like, would it be for you?
1: It would 100% be for me, but that know, would get, right? like, really weird if I was dating. I mean, that's not true. I, I'm i allowed to say that's so gay.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, uh, right, I'm allowed to laugh at those kids that, that said last one home was gay. That's I know. It's just so funny.
0: I just don't, uh, I know. I'm so glad I have, like, a space to share it because it happened and I, like, was i like looked around and like i wanted to see if like freddie prince jr would pop up because i would suddenly be in like the early 2000s again (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. no legit um i think what so what is that issue for me here is that like the fact that he is saying these things um like that's okay or the r word um, the r word which like (laughs) i almost like didn't read it but i was like i don't know if people are going to know what the r word means yes um like that to me, the issue there is that like, it's not the language itself. It's the, it's what that language reflects, even if it's not intentional homophobia in the way of like, he's not going out and gay bashing, right? right. He's not, he's not like, there may not be in other cases, right? Like it might not be the person is like explicitly racist, right? mm mm-hmm. But it reflects a way of thinking that I think is really, really challenging in these times, which is that, like, it reflects this understanding of the world that straight people are somehow better than gay people. Mm-hmm. Right. It it enforces this delusion of heteronormativity. It and reinforces this delusion of ableism, right, that that is just so pervasive and like hard to deal with right so and my issue is is like you can police that language as much as you want but it doesn't get at the heart of why he is thinking those things and like the symptom of that is the is the language he's using you're not getting at the, the actual cause of it
0: right and what's interesting is like i think this is a perfect example like you said of the intricacies of some of these things like that um you might not think that someone who uses homophobic or ableist language are those things. Right. And because Mm -hmm. so much of that stuff is passive, you know, to call an object, the R word, it's like, it's very easy to see that there, that is a victimless statement, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the, I love what you said about treating the symptom and uh, treating the sickness and not the symptom, because my biggest piece of advice for you, Eugene listener is that it's, this is going to have to be a, if you consent, it's going to have to be a bigger educating moment because mm-hmm. you can't just say, don't use that word because he's be saying, yeah, I know I'm working on it. Then he's not understanding the context of those words. Words have mm-hmm. power, right? Words have, have so much power, and not only that, they often are a reflection of the systems of power around us. Even mm-hmm. if we're using those words and we are powerless, they they are reflective of something, um, and they they are used to make light of huge populations around the people who often aren't able to de- de- to defend themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Like talking about, I mean, Sam and I can speak specifically to this to a homophobic um, comment. Right. But let's talk about the R word and how understanding to not use that word um, takes a certain amount of edification. If it does not come naturally to understand why I can't say that word. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to dive into uh, g- becoming a be- like a, a more well-rounded human who understands why that is a problematic word, why it is now considered a slur and how it's not just unkind, right? Um, and that and that it's comparable to other words, words that we would never dream of using. Um, mm. So, uh, I, I like, straight-up advice-wise, other than just, like, complaining to you or having a conversation with you, Sam, about this, you know, the power of language, my straight-up advice would be, Eugene, listener, like, if you want this partnership to go on, and to not, and because... You're 100% warranted. I would never marry someone who, who who called things gay. And that's not just because I sleep with um, people who are not men, right? You know? Right. Um, I would, I, that's, like, if somebody said, um, like, uh, lightly racist statements around me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just could never be like, yeah, okay, let's have babies together, you know? (laughs) Um, but, but I want to say, um, in this very, uh, in this unique time that like, I understand that navigating through some of these topics can be difficult because like we said a couple episodes ago, Um, we're all racist, right? We're all ableist. We are all sexist because we grew up in those systems. So even if we work, like, even if we have, we are the kindest, most loving hearted person, we can still call something gay and not know why that is offensive, you Mm know? And that intricacy, that really complicated nature of humanity makes unpacking these things difficult, but it's not impossible. Um, And in my notes, I wrote like, it's okay to not know, You know, it's, it's, if, if there are folks out there who don't, who, who use the R word right now and you're just learning that it's considered a slur, um, that's okay. It's okay to start, right? It's okay to be a beginner. It's okay to not know. It's okay to start somewhere, but you have to start. Mm -hmm. Um, and to our letter writer, it's, it's gonna have to be a bigger, you're, you're going to have to say to him explicitly that that's offensive. It's problematic. It makes him wildly unattractive and like not a good person person you know (laughs) he he might be saying like oh you know this movie was so gay because it was bad and had nothing to do with like homosexuality but like you know what a fucking boner killer that is for me like (laughs) i just can't and and you get it letter writer you know this um you have to be able to and it's not about being mean it's about being authentic right Mm -hmm. it's about expressing your true feelings about this because it's not gonna it's 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 not going to go away, like Sam said, if you just treat the symptom.
1: That's right. And I think having those conversations about the actual sickness is going to be more important than just policing the symptom. Mm. Right. So having the conversation about like when you use gay in a derogatory term, it means that you are or in a derogatory way. It means that you think that straight people are inherently better than gay people. Right. Right. Is that is that a reality that you are comfortable saying out loud? Like, is that really what you want to be thinking? Because that is homophobia. Like that is the definition of homophobia. Yeah. Right. So like, it's not just enough to stop saying that it has to be, how are we recognizing and dismantling this understanding that we were all raised in, right? right. That, that so many of us were brought in and, that straight people, straight is the norm and gay people are the aberration, right? right? Gay people just all want to be like straight people. Gay people are not as good as straight people because straight people are the norm and that and the norm is the best. So, like, how do you have that conversation to, like, lead him through the way that 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 the way that he uses those words is like reflecting a bigger thinking, Um And say, like, do you want to be homophobic? Because if you do, like, you're doing a great job. But, like, if you want to not be homophobic, you need to, like, stop saying those things and start being more intentional about thinking about the types of things that you're saying and why you're saying them.
0: Yeah. And having standards for that, because, you know, like, just as well as we do, that these things are manifestations of something bigger and that they're wildly unattractive to you and problematic like it's okay for you to have standards for your partners like it's okay for you to educate your partner because just 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 because i i i am <clears throat> excuse me hesitant to ask um, folks to do this type of labor in all situations. But in this partnership, like you are you are in a partnership, like you guys are putting in work to be together, to meet each other where we're at. And it doesn't sound like he's capable of meeting you where you're, at, where you're at, where you want him to be with the current tools that he has. So what tools can you share with him that make it clear not only why what he's saying is inappropriate, but why you will not tolerate it? Um, sure.
1: But I also think like I do want to call us out because I I like know so many people who are like my deal breaker is like that. They're not less than six feet tall, but like their deal breaker isn't that their their partner's not a racist. And yeah. like, I just think that we collectively need to be demanding more of our partners and saying like it's not OK for me to just sweep this under the rug because right. I because I like you so much, right? right? Like the fact that somebody is casually racist or intentionally racist, be, the fact that they are casually homophobic or casually ableist is like should be something that would that render someone so unattractive that we don't want to be with them 100%. anymore, right? And I think that there's I I think that it's a symptom of a larger um, sort of issue in our society Which is that we don't call out racism Homophobia, yeah. ableism, transphobia When we see it we're just sort of like oh well That's just the way that that person is
0: Or like oh we're unfold, Like we're still working on that
1: Right which is like <laughs> We've had a lot of time to work people <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> All I've been thinking about Is the 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 commentary that I've Seen from some of my black friends or from the the black leaders um, that I follow online that are basically like, we have all you have been telling us to do is be patient. Like how much mm. waiting can we do to have mm-hmm. like just justice, you know? And right. um, I'm so glad you connected this with all with, with this, um, the global happenings, because this is such a little thing. Do you know how like, hurtful and actually like elitist it is to imply that someone who is like either neurologically um, atypical or somebody who ha- with a disability is less than or or could be equated to like a video game that you think is dumb, you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like um, something that is broken or like I I never understood like the gay thing. I just never understood why that was like used as a descriptor at all. Um, For sure. It's just, it's like, it's like, it's like the weirdest form of like dick measuring that like young, (laughs) young boys do, you know? Um, No, not just young boys, all folks do it, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that like, we spent some time laughing at those stupid kids who (laughs) were riding their bikes (laughs) But Um, like, I'm in a place now where I can laugh at it, right? Like I'm in a place now where I I think I pity them for like having this idea that, that is so narrow that, that like, it's sad that they're in that position where they can't, they don't have a, a worldview that like encompasses all of the amazing diversity that exists in it. Right, right. But I will tell you that like, as a, as a queer kid in high school, listening to people call things gay, like it was incredibly hurtful. Like it was just constantly demoralizing to have all of these boys who I was already afraid of (laughs) because they, uh, picked me up and put me in trash cans and like all of this shit. Then also like hear them constantly calling things gay or friends of mine, right. Who would use that word and be like, oh, okay. I see, I see whose side you're on, right? right. I see that you value that you value these, these people who are using this word against me more than you value me. Right. And like, just, just operating in such a, in a, in a world where that is happening is just painful. Right. Right. Um. So like, we're laughing about it because now I think it's hilarious, but it is also horrible. It's mm-hmm. also really painful. Like I'm laughing from a point of pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um. And so just to be clear, like if you want to play this for him, like if you want to play me talking about what it feels like to have someone use that word As as like calling a video game gay and how hurtful that is for me, like do it because I don't know how else to explain to people that like that word, the F word, like those are derogatory, painful words to hear over and over again. And it and I just don't know how else to say like it hurts, like it just hurts to hear stuff like that.
0: And I think, again, connecting it to our conversation about like racism, like where we were taught in our indoctrination, in our education, that like racism looks like burning crosses and, mm-hmm. um, and slavery, when in reality, racism has so many iterations that it's so deeply entrenched in our society. Similarly, you know, we're taught that homophobia is hate crimes and like not letting gay people marry it. But homophobia is also so deeply, deeply entrenched in our society that people mm-hmm. use language in such a flippant, easy way in like a way that is like oh let me just let me toss this around because it is it is so meaningless right so because Mm -hmm. it is so uh hurtless or victimless right not knowing that it you don't have to call for example sam my dear best friend and co-host like you don't have to call sam the f word and beat him up after uh, fucking like in in the alley to be homophobic. instead, you can say that Sam is the same thing as this this thing that you think sucks, right? Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just the sliding scale. Uh, we, we, we think these isms or these phobias happen on grand scales but they happen in the smallest moments, right? For sure. There are a thousand small moments together, you know, woven together into microaggressions or macroaggressions or hate crimes or whatever. Legislation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I know that we are most likely preaching to the choir and I know that Eugene listener, our letter writer, knows all of these things. Um, I want to give you just a couple approaches to how to have this um, conversation with your partner um since we've we've talked about why it's important and and our thoughts on it but i do want to give you some takeaways because now is the time friends and head and heart workers like now is the time to to be better period it's, it's we're not just working for change we are changing right
1: mm-hmm. yep.
0: um and that and that change is going to manifest everywhere this i'm gonna i'm gonna start with like a superficial thing that it's not superficial at all but like something that I saw online that i thought was petty hysterical and so accurate (laughs) somebody um and honestly y'all it was like two weeks ago so i don't remember where or who said this but like somebody was like um my home my home girl who is white um i caught her singing along to a rap song and saying the n-word and I called her out on it, and she was like, "Oh, it was an accident or whatever, you know." And and so somebody responded and said, "The next time you're together, videotape or, or or like videotape doing it, and see if she thinks it was it's an accident then, and if it is, see if she'll let you post it." <laughs> so, um, what I will glean from that, Eugene um, listener, is maybe you can say to your your partner like would you ever say this in front of somebody um, who was gay or who was differently abled? Um, Mm -hmm. And if he's like, no, 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 I wouldn't. I'm just talking about this video game. Well, you can be like, well, you, you shouldn't say it in the first place in front of me, right? Like you shouldn't say it at all. It doesn't have to do. It's about what's in your heart, not what's in front of you. Um, Mm -hmm. Or just like record him and threaten to put it (laughs) online and let the internet take care of it. Just kidding. Um, okay, but like the serious way to approach this, I think, is the way you approach any other um, particularly ideological problem in your relationship. Like when somebody's not showing up in the right way or or when they believe something, when they don't want to have kids and you do or whatever. You prepare your thoughts and you tell them you have something important you want to talk to them about. And you mm-hmm. talk to them with the level of gravity and seriousness that this requires, not just because we're talking about homophobic and ableist language, but because this is the foundation that your relationship is built upon and it's crumbling, it's cracking, right? You're Mm seeing, you, you literally said to yourself, uh, you said to us, we're, we're talking about engagement rings and I can't picture myself marrying him. This is a fundamental problem in your relationship as well as a microcosm of the larger uh, systems of oppression in our society. Right. That's and right. so it has to be spoken about and it has to be spoken about with the urgency that it reflects. Um, you have to say, this is important to me and this is important to me that, that these values um, are important to you so that we can move, move forward as a partnership, like in a more, um, I don't know, responsible way. I think about i I think i I stumbled there for a moment because I started thinking about um you know, so like willow and i um willow and I have been so having so many conversations about what it will be like to potentially raise white children um in uh, an anti racist way, and mm-hmm. um I want to make sure that I am including <sighs> I want to make sure that I'm including that the style of conversation that Willow and I had, meaning we it's not just about calling out the bigots and the racists. It's about calling in our loved ones and setting up systems of accountability within your relationships, calling mm-hmm. out yourself too, you know? So it's like I said to Willow, I want to make sure that I'm putting my money where my mouth is. So then we talked about how to budget. I Okay. How are we going to navigate, um, our family relationships and, and how they talk about race. Like, well, we can start talking about races, you know, like I, I think I, I, stumbled and, and maybe I'm getting a little off track here because I realized I'm, I was giving the letter writer a very specific script of like, I'm done with you unless you deal with these things and think about these things. But it's also about the bigger idea of like, of the ongoing conversation about how mm-hmm. this shouldn't, I think this is what I'm trying to get at. Sorry. This shouldn't just be a one-time conversation, um Eugene listener. This should be an ongoing part of your conversation of your relationship. Mm. What are yeah. the values of your relationship? What are the not just individual values that are important to you, but what are you two as a unit, as a partnership going to work on and how is it going to contribute to the liberation of the people around us? Mm-hmm. Or or Conversely, how is it not going to contribute to it? Because right now, him using that language is not contributing to fucking jack shit, except for homophobia and ableism, right?
1: <laughs> yes, right. It's
0: it's 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 demeaning your relationship, it's undermining your academic work, and it's hurting people. It hurts Sam and I, you know.
1: Absolutely, I think that's great. I think, um, yeah. Sorry
0: about that rant. It was it was like a, I got there. No, and I
1: think I think it's important for us to. Um, you know, as we continue to do this work to have accountability partners, right? right? And um, I think it's super, it's great that you and Willow are that. I think that Peter and I also do that as well um, and would like for us to to value that in relationships more. Like I would like for our listeners to think about um, how do I create or how do I find relationship with people that allows me to be accountable towards liberation towards anti-racism towards anti-homophobia, right. Anti, uh, ableism. And I think that that's something that we should, we should be seeking out and we should be explicit about. Like, I think that you and I found our partners and we found that we both had similar like points of view mm-hmm. on the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Um, but being explicit about that, I think is so important as well of like, how are we going to hold each other accountable in our anti-racism, mm-hmm. in our anti-homophobia, in our anti-ableism, um, and would love to, to make that explicit and talk about that more. Cause yeah. I feel like we don't talk about it enough. And we I just sort of, I'm like, Oh, it's lucky that we fell into this, but it's like, well, what if that was something too. that you actively sought out instead right. of just being like, Oh, cool.
0: And actively sought out. Like, I, I don't think, you know, um, because of Willow's work and my personality, we tend to talk about like more politicized, politicized issues a lot. And also we're two queer people, you know, um, mm-hmm. But like, I, I, I want to recognize that that's not everyone's foundation of their relationship. If you're, if you're listening to me talking and you're like, man, I like rarely talk about politics with my partner or whatever. That's okay. I'm not saying that this has to be the, you know, the blood, the the source of your, the foundation of your relationship. I'm not saying that, but I am, I am wondering, Eugene, um, listener, um, if this is such a huge, deep part of your life, of your schooling, of your purpose? What have you shared with him that would help, that would help him connect with what's important to you? I, yep. I, I sort of think about like the word, using the word gay as an insult, like it's, she's right. she's right. It kind of like dies off after high school. And I think that's because <laughs> you get a broader view of the world and you understand the problematic nature of that word. And I'm wondering what about your partner has not... Brought him to that place, you know, and that's, man, that's true of fucking all of us.
1: <laughs> true. But it's also, I will say like, it's a, it's a point of privilege to not have to talk about race in your yeah, relationship. Totally. It's a point of privilege to not have to talk about homophobia or ableism in your relationship. And so I think. um,
0: Yeah, that's a good I point. I think
1: that like, you don't like. Politics writ large might not be your favorite thing in the world, but like it is important to be having these conversations mm-hmm. with our partners. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it it's it is a, a requirement of us mm-hmm. <laughs> right now mm-hmm. and in the future to have these types of conversations with our partners, because not having them just means that we are supporting the system that that is homophobic, that mm-hmm. is ableist that is racist, right? Mm-hmm. Not because that's the default, right? Unless we are actively working against it, we are supporting those systems.
0: Yeah. I uh, I feel like we covered it as well as we <laughs> Yeah, we could. talked
1: for so long about this.
0: <laughs> Eugene, listener, um, Sam and I love you and we believe in the work that you're doing and that you will continue to do. Um, this is a continual process showing up for ourselves and the, the things that we believe in. Um, this can be... A very empowering conversation for you, um, mm-hmm. and and we want you to know that you can you can say enough um, because uh, it is fucking enough. Time up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, we love you and we wish you luck.
1: Thank you so much for writing, Eugene. Rocket Money has over five million users and has helped save its members an average of seven hundred and twenty dollars a year, with over five hundred million dollars in canceled unwanted subscriptions.
0: And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those
1: subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You need to practice that. Yeah, we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service <laughs> representatives. You know what I mean? Like, just like use the middle person. <laughs> Just get rocket money in there to help you do what you need to do.
0: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com/justbreakup. rocketmoney.com/justbreakup. All right. Our next letter is from Solo Gal, who is writing to us from Worryland.
1: Can, worry Worryland. worry, worry land. i love that i'm there all the time i love this letter
0: you know me i love
1: i it. know i literally wrote on it sex. it's about sex
0: <laughs> <laughs> can two people stay together if they feel like they've both had better sex with other people Should you be your partner's best sexual partner to date? And can a relationship be last if that isn't the case? I'm in a new relationship with a great guy, and we've recently discussed the fact that we aren't each other's best slash we're not totally sexually compatible. I'm a cis woman that finds it impossible to come from penetration alone, a fact that my new guy finds hard to understand, as apparently none of his exes have ever had this issue. Fuck those guys. I'm able to make myself come with a use of stimuli like toys or porn, but it uh, during sex, I get in my head about how I look and how my body jiggles and not enough time tends to be given to the amount of foreplay I need, we, need, which I appreciate can be over half an hour sometimes. He likes particularly dirty or pornographic sex, which isn't something I want to, having come from a previously kinky sub-dom relationship. After sex, my partner always asks if I've enjoyed the sex and seems to constantly worry that I'm bored. I've expressed that I enjoy sex and intimacy without an orgasm attached to it, but the lack of an orgasm on my part seems to make him doubt his sexual performance and knocks his confidence rather than question how we can and knocks his confidence rather than question how we can change our sex life to nurture my performance. He finds sex toys gimmicky and cringy and never suggests using anything despite me literally putting my wand on the bed during sex. I've taken the the initiative to incorporate it myself, but he rushes to the finish line. There is a disconnect between the concern he shows for my pleasure and taking action slash adapting to improve it. I worry that the constant dissection of our sex life is continually knocking his confidence and making it a little too clinical. We also discussed that he was... A bit of a he has a bit of a Madonna slash whore complex with me. He's admitted that he hasn't been able to totally let go with me as he has with some other one night stands. He says this is down to the lack of intimacy felt with those women. He didn't know them. Uh, didn't really care about them or respect them. Therefore he was able to do whatever he wanted during sex without feeling pressure or judgment. But with me, he feels protective. He fears judgment and he isn't able to be rough because um, I'm this timid thing in his eyes. I love rough, rough sex have discussed my boundaries and tried to initiate things like spanking or choking in sex. He asked me to stop doing it because it felt unnatural or clunky to him. I understand that he needs to initiate. He wants, he needs to want to initiate things like that with me without me forcing his hand. But I worry he won't ever be able to. I'm not sure how we can move from this with both of us comparing our sex lives to the better ones we had before with our exes. I'm falling in love with this guy, and this is the only part of the puzzle that causes me stress as I feel the ne- feel uh, that he's totally at ease with our sex life. I know coming will always be an issue for me, but I'm happy to take my own pleasure into my own hands. Him not holding back will, in turn, give me co- more confidence and ease. I'm the tallest and biggest girl he's ever dated. Though I love my body and I'm an average 12, I'm aware that I'm harder to throw around than his average type uh, of 5'2 skinny girl. He compliments my body constantly, but I do think he finds my size a challenge in terms of sexual maneuvers. Is it wrong for me to be happy orgasming alone? Free from his impatience and ego, I truly love our intimacy, but I want to be treated like any other conquest. I want him to see me as he sees others. Do you think this sounds too unsustainable for a future together? Is there anything I can do to shake him out of this? Thanks for all you do i 'm learning every week x Thank you so much for writing solo gal mm-hmm. all right <laughs>
1: Are you going to go off?
0: no i 'm not, but maybe um. <laughs> I've said this before and I don't want to speak for all bodies um but it is I th- I think that it's true to say that it is statistically much 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 harder to come from just penetration alone if um uh if you have um a vulva let's say um mm-hmm. and well, I don't even want to say that. I I want to be mindful about how I'm talking about penetrative sex. But um, anyway, so it's I, I know very few people. I think I think I know one person in my entire goddamn life of everyone I have <laughs> ever met in my entire life, in my 34 years, who can come from penetration only, and that only happened once. I'm not saying your boyfriend Just one time. Yes, so. <laughs> I'm not. T- I'm not saying any of that. I'm not assuming that they faked it or whatever because I don't want to take away anyone's sexual agency. But I just want to say that there is a dynamic going on here that's bigger than this just this this one relationship. And that dynamic is the um, the the prevalent historical practice of prioritizing male pleasure over anything else, and b- that pleasure being. Um, the hierarchy of pleasure also being conflated by the fact that sometimes people who don't get off easily uh have, feel a lot of shame and anxiety and the taboos against women's sexuality and the the taboo of the fucking female orgasm and how that's like i don't know a weird phenomenon for some people i i just want to start this conversation by saying like your experience is probably very common um mm-hmm. your your Lack of pleasure is honestly probably really common. Your lack of centering your pleasure is probably very common, something that I super relate to. Um, and it is a problem to me. It is a problem to me. I'm not saying break up, but I feel like there is there's a bigger disconnect happening in this sexual relationship than just like an incompatibility. I'm gonna pass the yeah. reins for you for a second because I'm sure I like lost track of what the fuck I was saying. <laughs>
1: No, I mean I think this is just um this is just toxic masculinity at just rearing its ugly head as it likes to do. Um it is because I right? think like and I think I wanna call out, right? I was just gonna go ham on your on your boyfriend, but I wanna call out that like this toxic masculinity is not serving you and it's not serving him, right? Because he is so focused on his penis being the giver of pleasure that it's impacting him because his penis isn't the giver of pleasure. And so like, he's like now in the state of like, Oh wow, I'm, I'm not performing sexually. Right. And he is so focused on that, that he can't see that. Like he can give pleasure in other ways. Right. Like it would actually be, he would, his sexual performance would be better if he picked up that vibrator and like brought it right. out. Right. <laughs> if he spent more time, focused less on his own penis and more on like, your body parts, right? If he used his mouth, his fingers, if he used the tools that he has available to him, he could be a sex God, right? Like he could be amazing (laughs) at this.
0: But instead
1: he's focusing on this one thing, which we've been taught, right? We as boys have been taught that our penises are like the center of the universe. Right. And so it's, it's like, it's just so frustrating because like he's, he's experiencing this, this lack of confidence because He is so narrowly defining how how performance looks, right? And I don't know if you can unlearn that in a way that you haven't already talked to him about, Mm. right? Like, I don't know how much more you can say to him to say, like, this isn't working for me. Here are some tools that have worked for me in the past, and I don't care about how sad you are that your penis doesn't make me orgasm, (laughs) right?
0: Yeah, I want to say too. Um, I love that you. I love you said it like that too because it's like um, if you think your penis is solely responsible for pleasure, um, you're going to disappoint a lot of people. You're
1: um, going to disappoint yourself over and over and over again because like that's just not the way that the world works.
0: Yeah. Um, so, solo gal, I want to say too that I spent my entire sexual life up until probably I don't know four years ago or something thinking that something was wrong with me and my body because the ways I could and couldn't get off, but there is nothing wrong with your body and there's no right or wrong way to get off. There just isn't. Mm -mm. What we see in porn, um, is, is, is a manifestation of, of the sex industry that has been cultivated since film (laughs) has been a thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but but even look look at the porn industry and how wildly diverse it is. I know it has it has no um, true scope of that, right? You know, there's not there's no true scope of how diverse people's sex life is. But but at least it shows it paints a broad stroke, right? Um, but mm-hmm. there so. It sounds like you know that there's nothing wrong with your body and that you're I like that you say like I, I will take my pleasure into my own hands, but why deny yourself a partnership or or like a sex life that is pleasure inclusive for you? Why why settle is what I want to ask you. Yeah. Because um we settle constantly. We 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 put other people's needs before us, we put other people's pleasure before us, but you deserve a a partner who wants, who is invested in your pleasure beyond the idea of it, beyond the manifestation of what he understands to be how you should be pleasured. Right. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you like a fulfilling sex life. If you want it, if that's something that, that, that you want in a relationship, it, it only deepens intimacy, right. Um, When you feel like you can communicate in that way, um, beyond, um, the verbal or, or the non-physical, um, For sure. do you, so you, you said Sam that you feel like he doesn't, that he's beyond learning. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I disagree, <laughs> but I want to hear you. Go ahead.
1: No, I think I just might be coming at this in a moment of,
0: <laughs> which is fine. I think like I
1: feel like I'm at my my threshold of empathy for people.
0: Yeah, we're at we're in a mood today. We're definitely this is this is a mood episode.
1: Uh. Well, because it's also like I just get so frustrated with this idea of like, oh, sex is better when you don't care about the other person Mm -hmm. because it's like sex is not a weapon to use against people who you don't know. Right. Like when when you are having Go sex with someone off, and suddenly this. you can't you can't have sex with them because you care about them too much means that your relationship with sex is problematic right it means that you are you think that sex is a conquest you think it is taking something from someone you think that sex is like about crossing boundaries and like not bringing respect or intimacy into the, into the equation. Cool. Let me add and to that. that is an issue. That is a big issue.
0: <laughs> Let me add to that too, because it's not just that because I agree there's a ma- Madonna and a whore complex going on here, but you also think that loving sex, intimate vulnerable relationship sex can't be kinky or, or dominant or rough. Right. And that yeah. is a lie that we've been told Forever again by our our indoctrinated society that is founded on like the Puritist like the Puritan religion, the idea yep. that there's good there's quote good sex and bad sex and that you can have bad sex only in these in these ways. Like there's a there's mm. a I think it's called the Golden Circle. But I could be. I'm pulling this out of my college years. Um, <laughs> I'm, f- comf- I'm confident the first letter writer will know what I'm talking about. But this, there, it's it's called like the golden circle or something. But it's the idea that there's there are, there's one circle and then an overlapping circle, and the cir- the sex that is in the inside circle is good, considered mm-hmm. culturally good and acceptable, and the sex mm-hmm. on the outside circle is not. And the sex on the inside sc- circle is like monogamous, vanilla you know, um, uh, in order to have a baby, not paid for, heterosexual, Mm. right? There's all these ideas of what we think of good sex is, right? And then on the outside is the idea of bad sex. The bad sex is if you paid for it, it's bad. If you, Mm -hmm. um, if you, if it's with a stranger or if it's with multiple people at once, if it's polyamorous if it's kinky if it's not for procreation if it's queer you know if it's any of those things on the outside of the thing we think of it as culturally wrong and this is obviously manifesting in your boyfriend, solo gal because he he cannot have you in both circles at once because he sees it as a as one world or another but for sure, and and I and I know very little about your relationship outside of this, so I'm not trying to say like dump this guy because you der- deserve better. But I will say the statement: you deserve better than what you're getting because Absolutely. you are a multifaceted human. You are a sexual being. You are a woman who deserves to be loved and touched and given pleasure um, in a way that feels like you and your body and your pl- and your pleasure is appreciated, and in a way that lets you be your multifaceted beautiful, sexy, powerful and also vulnerable, intimate, loving, whole, worthy self, right? You can be it it the Madonna and the whore complex goes so much deeper than what we think it is. It's like it's you can be promiscuous and a good person. You can have mm-hmm. kinky, rough sex and be a great mother. You can sure. um you can be a stripper and be a great at person. You know like uh, mm-hmm. We have such weird understandings of of sexuality and how it denotes our our worthiness. Yeah, that's why this letter goes way beyond just yeah, just using sure. the vibrator. And
1: I, yes. And I do wanna I do want to clarify that like I'm not opposed to people having sex with strangers. Like if that is the thing that you like to do, that's fantastic. I think what what I pulled out of this letter was that he only really liked to have sex with people when he didn't care about them or respect them. Right. And that's different than, than having sex with strangers. Mm-hmm. That's, that is speaking to this like toxic masculine idea that, um that women are objects and the sex is better when the women are just objects rather than when they are whole people who are complicated, who are size 12 and tall and who really want to be kinky, but you're not able to do it because you don't want to treat them like an object, even if you're even if they're asking you to. Right. Like there's just I think I'm just like really over toxic masculinity right now. I know. (laughs) And I think and I think like Sierra said, right, this man, this toxically masculine man, has the ability to move forward, has the ability to be better. And I will support you Solo gal, if you want to spend the time to, to, to bring him along in that journey, but recognize that it's going to be emotional labor on your part, recognize that is so often the role of women to help teach men to not be toxically masculine, right? Like, and I think, but I, as a person, am over toxic masculinity, mm. just in general, mm. right? Like, and I'm trying not to conflate this person, this person that you are dating and that you love and that, that you really want to be with. And this system that we have, but it's really hard for me right now. So I'm just going to call myself out on that and say like, sorry that I went off. Um, I'm sure that he's a lovely person in other aspects.
0: But all these things, um, I feel like Solo Gal is leaning towards where she's feeling the frustration of like, I'm asking for what I want. I'm giving you permission. And for some reason you can't meet me here, you know? Yeah. Um, In which case,
1: then he can't meet you there, and then you need to to take a well, step that's, back, right?
0: That's why I'm I'm not saying just break up, my love. I but I am saying like this is bigger than just you asking for what you want because, like Sam says, you've done that already. This is this is some like really big internalized unpacking going on, um, mm-hmm. and and do you want to be the one that pushes him to that? Um, maybe you do. If so, also, like, uh, you're right, though. It's just so fucking problematic. Um, I I want (laughs) to say something um, uh, before we uh, move on to the next letter. letter. Solo gal, I, um, in one of my relationships um, that was uh, a heterosexual partnership, um, I felt as though my partner, although I loved him very much, like, didn't want to we had very penis focused sex and mm-hmm. at a point in our relationship, I was like, this is, this is becoming a problem to me because I feel like you don't even like want to like look at my body or like, you don't want it. You're not even acknowledging it. And, and it came down to a fact that he, he, he was like less experienced than I was and felt intimidated. Mm. Right. But, I realized at one point or another, I could give him directions. I could, I could tell him what I wanted even. And, 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 um, and he was responsive to that. Like he, he wanted me to do that, but I couldn't unpack his insecurities for him. I could give him directions. I could give him requests. I could call him out on things. I could tell him like you, you know, just like you can still gal. You can say like, you can fuck me like this. Right. And still respect me or, you know, but you're not the one who's going to be able to unpack what makes him uncomfortable. And right now it sounds like, you, the complexities of human sexualities and you being in your sexual power is making him feel really vulnerable um mm. i just want you to remember that it's not on you to make him feel better for being for that un- vulnerability it's on him to unpack it cool absolutely all right so gal we love you so much and we want you to get
1: that orgasm you deserve <laughs> that's it that's right and like Give yourself that orgasm. He doesn't need to be around for it if if he's not gonna but, do the things to make it done.
0: Well, and that's and that's what she said. She's like, I'm fine doing it myself. But like, why settle, girl? You sh- you deserve both, right? Mm-hmm. You deserve orgasms by yourself, and you deserve orgasms with your partner if you choose to want that. That's right. All right, friends. Thank you so much for writing solo, gal.
1: We love you. All right. Our final letter comes from Anonymous Perfectionist, who is writing from Denver. Hey, Sam and Sierra. My boyfriend, 30-year-old straight male, and I, 25-year-old straight female, have been together for about a year and a half. We met not long after I moved to Colorado, and we're friends who started casually hooking up and then who started dating and now are moving in together. We have fun and make each other laugh, and he challenges me in a lot of the ways that I really appreciate. In general, we want the same big things out of life, and both are just trying to have a good time and make the most of it all. To tell you more about him, he grew up very athletic, good at pretty much every sport he tried. He makes friends easily with anyone and everyone and is well-liked. He's also super hot, in my personal opinion, which is a nice bonus. He was, and still is, but more responsibly now, a risk-taker. He has seen and done it all. When he decides to do something, he does it 100%. For example... He decided he wanted to start mountain biking years ago, so he bought a bike. He immediately began pushing himself as hard as he could to get better, and he started racing. He's not surprisingly really fucking good at it. He literally knows everything about bikes and will talk your ears off for days about gear if you let him. It's something I love about him. However, it gets to be pretty overwhelming at times. He is very particular about how he likes most things done. He works in the trades and is all about doing things efficiently and correctly. When I say doing things correctly, I mean everything from setting up a tent to doing the dishes to organizing a closet. This often manifests itself as him correcting or offering alternatives to people whenever they are just whenever they are doing something quote wrong. He never really means it in a negative way, he just legitimately wants to help people do things more efficiently. However, living with that constantly has started to make me feel like I'm inadequate. I've told him that before, but then I just contradict myself. There are times when I do want him to help me get better at something, like when we are skiing or doing an activity together— But I also sometimes just want to figure out shit on my own. I am 100% capable of Googling how to change my road bike tire and then doing it myself, for example. I don't necessarily care care if I'm not doing something in the most efficient way yet. To me, that is part of learning something new. And I personally get so much satisfaction out of fixing something or learning how to do something myself. At the same time, I realize that it is not him that makes me feel inadequate, but rather me already having that feeling and him bringing it out of me." So that brings me to me. As I mentioned, I'm 25 years old and I'm five years younger than him. This is the only ever apparent to me when it comes to the individual growth that we have done. I feel like he is past dealing with those big personal hurdles of your 20s while I am currently deep in the trenches of them. I am a recovering perfectionist who lived most of my teens and first year or two of my 20s feeling generally lost in life. I was not confident, did not think I was beautiful or talented, and was just generally a negative person. This isn't who I was deep down, though, and I knew that. Over time, I've continued to work on myself, and my confidence has grown. I surrounded myself with people that inspire me. I consciously become a more positive person and started doing what I wanted rather than just being a dreamer. This started out small, like going on hikes alone in places I'd never been to. I worked at a summer camp because I had always wanted to, became an AmeriCorps volunteer, and I packed up my life and moved away from my family back to Colorado because this is the place that feels like home to me. I started camping out at trailheads and climbing 14ers, which are peaks at 1,400 mile. Feet or higher, which is great for me because I had no idea what that was. So thank you for clarifying. (laughs) I started rock climbing at gyms, not knowing the first thing about it and began to feel strong and capable. I bought a road bike and started dabbling with that. I got myself skiing again for the first time in years and worked my way up to double diamonds. My point is when I look back on where I started, I, I see that I've come a long way and I'm super proud of myself. I now have the confidence to try new things that I've always wanted to and have so many plans and goals for the future. But then I met my boyfriend. At first, I loved being challenged by him. He's the best skier I know, the best biker I know, and he used to be super into rock climbing and has done some crazy shit that I can only begin to dream to be physically capable of doing one day. I admire that about him, but the perfectionist in me has started rearing her head and telling me I'm not good enough for him. Anything I've done that I'm proud of, he's done that and more I've noticed that I just let him take the lead on pretty much everything because I know he's better than me. I start to undersell myself and assume that I'm going to fail at something because he does that he does with ease. I've started to feel threatened by other badass women who I perceive as being better than me because I feel like on some level my boyfriend would rather be with a girl that challenges him. I know that this is an opportunity for growth. I know that other people's successes and capabilities don't negate my own, but right now I am struggling so much with the with being the person I want to be while all this shit is swirling around in my head. On top of that, my perfectionist brain causes me to beat myself up for not being able to work through it. It's exhausting. At my best, I am someone who is excited by life. I am interested and inspired by others, not threatened, but lately I'm having a really hard time getting past these toxic thoughts and being the person I know I am. There is a part of me that really wants to be alone again, work on myself, do the things I want to do, and remind myself that I am capable of being completely self-sufficient. I don't want to constantly feel like my boyfriend is better than me, and I don't always want to follow his lead. But it's also hard not to because he has all this knowledge that I want, so why wouldn't I learn from him? I don't actually want to leave my boyfriend because I love him very much, and aside from the shitstorm, I see us being together for the long haul. But is it even possible to work through this stuff on my own while I'm in a committed relationship?" How can I stop comparing myself to other people like this? How do I stop worrying that I am not enough for my boyfriend? It drives me nuts because I thought I had worked through these thought patterns, but now they are back and they just do not have a happy place, or place in a happy life or a healthy relationship. I know this is something I should probably work through in therapy, but do you have any advice for working through personal things and trying to change when you are in a relationship? Thank you so much in advance. You guys are great at what you do and you are appreciated. Sincerely, Anonymous Perfectionist.
0: Thank you so much, Anonymous Perfectionist. I love this letter. Um, I love all these letters. I love everybody's letters.
1: (laughs) Everybody's letters are amazing.
0: Well, I but I just like I feel for this one, Um, and uh, yeah, I have I have lots of notes written down. And you know what? My first one is, you know who is a badass? (laughs) Question mark. I wrote it down as I was listening to you because. Um, The letter writer writes like they're starting to feel insecure about other badass women. And I was like, dang, like, you know, what's badass is like uh, following that that tiny voice within yourself that tells you that you're not living up to the, the potential of who you want to be. Taking mm-hmm. actions to form, form to fully form your personality to go to go on these badass hikes and by yourself to start something new. Like it's terrifying to be new at something and to do all of that, and then to meet someone who's hot and talented and smart, and and to <laughs> cultivate a relationship with them for a year and a half, um, all at twenty five, and then have the no the like the wherewithal at twenty five to think all of these that, that, that I'm not fully formed yet, that I'm still working on these things. And I still want to, I want to figure myself out and, and to even have the gall to think, well, maybe I need to be alone to do that. Or, or what does this mean for our relationship? Like you're the fucking badass. Like, let's just get that. (laughs) Let's get that out of the way first.
1: (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. Um, this letter actually made me think of a story that happened when Peter and I were first starting dating. Um, where we like, we went with a few friends and we went uh, canoeing down a river. And it was like, I was, I was in the boat. Right. And I was like, I was with Peter. And then our friends were in a different canoe and we were like going together. But like in my head, I was like, okay, well we have to be like, we have to keep up or be like, like faster than them. (laughs) And so I was like wearing myself down, trying to like go faster. And I was looking at Peter who was like up in the front like not paddling hard enough. yeah. And I was like so frustrated and I was like, why isn't he doing this? And then I had this moment of realization that I was like this for Peter, this isn't about being the fastest. This isn't a competition, right? Like Peter is here to enjoy the scenery. Mm -hmm. Like Peter is here to enjoy the time outside. He's like enjoying being in this canoe with you. He's enjoying having this time with friends. It's not about like who's the best and who is the most perfect. Um, and it was like such a a shift for me to like realize first of all that that my my perfectionism was so deeply ingrained in me that i couldn't even see outside of it mm. <laughs> right like i couldn't even i was like i had i had nothing but assumption that like the way that you canoe is to be the best and the fastest at it <laughs> mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and had this realization thanks to peter and i have told him the story before i had this realization that actually being the best and the fastest is not necessarily the only goal or the only metric by which we can measure ourselves, Mm. right? And in fact, we can find other ways to measure our own success, right? Like Peter had a better day that day, right? right? Peter wasn't grinding himself and exhausting himself and, and finding himself frustrated with the fact that he wasn't first. Peter had a great time sitting in the front of that canoe and like looking at the birds, right? And so if we change the measurement of of success and we say, what is like, what am I actually trying to get out of this thing? Is it being the best or is it that I want to have a good time doing it? Then suddenly it it shifts and suddenly it's no longer a competition. It is more just about ourselves in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? And it was like, that was a big thing for me. So I would encourage you, perfectionist, perfectionist. To maybe reframe some of the ways in which you are thinking about how to advance in your hobbies and passions. And how to enjoy them, yeah. Right? Like, I don't think the measurement has to be you're able to ski double diamonds. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really intense. Uh, It doesn't mean... (laughs) I
0: forgot that you're not a skier. (laughs) (laughs) It means really hard. Like the every trail has... Sorry. Right. I wish people had the no no. Let me let me go on this little tangent because the uh-huh. if they're skiing, it's like um, there's different symbols that represent like how easy or hard it is, and different like colors and stuff. And yeah. so like yeah, there'll be like a, a a red, I mean a a blue square or something. I don't remember what the other ones are, but mm-hmm. um, a, a diamond, a black diamond, is like oh it's really hard and. <laughs> A double black diamond is like, it's really, really hard. Um, and I wish, why I interrupted you to have this little side tangent is like, people should have these rating systems when you date them.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'd be a, I would be a double black diamond for sure. I'd be like, it takes a lot to handle this. Anyway. Uh, no, but like, how can you reframe this to say, it's not about being the one that can hike the fourteen? footer or whatever it's called, right? (laughs) It's not the one that can like make themselves the most uncomfortable, but instead being like, what is bringing me passion? And like my mark of success is whether or not I had a good time doing this, Mm. whether or not I had fun, whether or not I learned something that I think is going to be helpful for me. And then I think it becomes easier to stop comparing yourself to people because it's not about like, oh my God, my boyfriend is five years older than me and knows so much more than me. Instead saying like, my boyfriend is five years older than me and we both have equal amounts of fun doing this hobby. Yeah. Right. Um, It doesn't that I have to get on his level. It's that we get to have this opportunity to practice gratitude for the fact that we have bodies that can do these things and that we get to figure out how to do them. And I'm learning as I go.
0: I love that you brought up the canoeing example and about how like you're (laughs) reframing things, not in terms of like how well you can do them or the success or winning or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But instead joy, you know, I think about like how another thing that uh, perfectionists can work on is, is unpacking the, our, our, our ingrained understandings of things. Like you might relate to this, like that, that, the way we move out around the world is not inherently compared to the way other people move around the world. But, but uh-huh. yep. we think, you know, when, we're, when we're insecure or when we have perfectionist problems or whatever, we think that there's an ongoing comparison happening. Um, when mm-hmm. often we, we do that to ourselves. We, we are the compare. you know, we're, the, we're, we are the violence enactor actor because comparison Absolutely. is a viol- act of violence against yourself. Um, uh, a blind date that I shouted out months ago was um, Lisa Oliveira's therapy Instagram. Lisa Oliveira therapy, all one word. And she shared mm-hmm. something the other day that I like screenshotted and sent to a friend who is a like self-described perfectionist. And it just said, remember, imperfection is literally the only option. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it so much because like we are... We're not just setting ourselves up for failure. If we expect perfection from ourselves, we're, we are literally um, abusing ourselves, right? That we, we are pigeonholing ourselves so hard. If we expect anything but imperfection at all times, Um, we, and we can work really hard to be our best selves every day, but we're still going to work at it. And Mm -hmm. to um, a perfectionist point, about being with your partner like getting the space for that. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about one, how how you can grow alongside someone or or not. And two, mm-hmm. I want to talk about the partner because I do want to I want to get to the boyfriend at some point about his his yeah, me too. his his language choices <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, there's some there's, there's some, some stuff. perfectionism. Yeah, there's some stuff perfectionism. There. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh <clears throat> so perfectionist, you you write in your letter I don't want to leave my boyfriend, period. But I'm worried about this and this and this and this. And I'm wondering if I can do all these growing things. You absolutely can grow alongside someone in relationship with them, but you cannot do that if you do not, if you do not accept the fact that it will be imperfect. And I think this anxiety that's manifesting in you right now is, oh my God, not only will I seem imperfect to my partner, like not only is that like a terrifying thing, but my relationship will inherently be imperfect if I am not a whole perfect developed self while in it. But again, right. that is not an option. Two perfect people being <laughs> together at the perfect time in the perfect way is, is literally not on the test. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> it is not a choice, right? It, it's impossible. So I just want to like relieve you of the pressure to, 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 to meet that because I too used to think that I was a broken person that needed certain conditions to become not broken, Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of those conditions was that I didn't have the ability to hurt anyone, right? A, a huge source of my anxiety was like, I recognized that I was hurting, that I was, that I had some brokenness in myself that I wanted to heal, but I thought I couldn't do that um, or, with someone or around someone or well n- next to someone because I was going to hurt them. But then I started mm. to understand a deeper part of my healing was understanding that i will inherently hurt people because that's human yep. because we are imperfect beings and that there is no level of per- perfection or healedness that i could get to that would make me more worthy than i am right now so you absolutely mm-hmm. can grow alongside your partner if you see yourself as whole imperfect worthy inside and out of that relationship and you say like um i know You're like, you you brought up therapy and and you know that we're going to suggest that. But I actually really strongly suggest it in this point, not because you're Mm -hmm. more or less broken than other people, but because therapy is an amazing tool to help you grow a alongside your partner, right? Because Absolutely. you are there yep. for yourself, for the benefit of yourself, but it will also benefit your relationship. And therapy is a great place to go, particularly if you have anxiety or, or perfection issues, because you're going to see this person hypothetically once a week or talk to them online, um, and you're going to be able to be. Rem- you're, you have a more constant reminder of the ways in which you you are setting yourself up to fail, and ways you can better empower yourself to 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 not hold yourself to such crazy canoeing standards. You know,
1: <laughs> right? <clears throat> no, I and I I love that. Um, and I will say, like, it is like Sierra said, it is impossible to be in relationship with someone to be perfect before being in relationship with someone. Right. And, and these feelings of perfectionism, like I also still struggle with them even in my relationship with Peter right now. Right. And I, like, I feel like I have to be the one that knows how to do everything and take care of everything. And when I don't, uh, I can tell you it's because I think that I'm not making my dad proud. (laughs) Mm. So like, this is a deeply learned thing. Um, but it happens all the time. It happened like last week where I was an asshole to Peter, not because Peter deserved me to be an asshole to him, but because I was so upset about something that I had tried to do and and failed at that I was I was angry with the world. I was telling myself I wasn't lovable. I was telling myself that everyone hated me because, because I wasn't perfect, right? And yet our relationship is still standing, right? Peter and I had a conversation about it. We worked it out, right? So it is possible to continue to grow. Mm. And it is it is not even possible. It's required. Mm. You you are we are always in a state of growth and we need we need to do that alone. We need to do that in relationship and we can't never be not growing. Right. <laughs> or changing, right? Because we are we are malleable and we are learning and we are growing all the time.
0: Right. Um let's talk about the boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. so part of this, again,
1: I'm over men right now and I don't understand what's happening.
0: <laughs> it's okay.
1: I want to tell him to shut up and mind his own business. <laughs>
0: mm, interesting. Uh, I don't, probably not super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I, I think that, I think actually to the letter writer's credit, I think that she wrote him in a way that I understand, right. That like, yep. this is just the way this person understands the world and is applying his understanding of the world to other people and has yet to be told dear letter writer that the way that he views and 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 functions in the world is not a universally applicable thing like he just has yet to be told that right and maybe that's where your like grief with men is manifesting because <laughs> um you know it, people go a while without like that so um uh part of this is is on him, at least in his, re- like your partner's a great partner, right? He's a good guy. He's, he's good at all these things, but he is, he is not meeting you where you're at in this one particular place. And it can be solved pretty simply with some effort from both of you. I think that Mm -hmm. you have to say, hey, I, there are times that I love when you help me and tell me what to do. There are other times that it makes me feel really insecure. And I also, or I don't want your help because I want to figure it out on my own. Can we both make a mindful effort to, to uh, like me, I will tell you when I'll tell you lovingly when I want and don't want your advice. Um, Uh And you can ask me before you tell me how to do something. It's as simple Mm -hmm. as that. You just say, can you ask me before you tell me how to do something? Because I'm struggling with my own anxiety and my own perfectionism. And so when you tell me how to do something, it doesn't, it, A, can make me feel really insecure and like I'm, I'm the dumb one. B, it can, it strips me of my learning experience and, Mm -hmm. um, see you can come off kind of like you're, you're judging me, right? Like that um, you're taking my agency away from me. Plus like the world does not function at the same level of efficiency or even functionality that you do. Like everybody's, everybody views reality differently. So um, you can say that to him. Mm -hmm. And then it's on him to be able to understand that. Here's what I would say to him if I could talk to him. At some point in our lives, we have to, if we want to be truly effective, we have to learn how to not just be right, or excuse me, not to be right, but to be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. And our understanding of helpful is not indi- like indicated by what we think is as helpful, but by what other people find helpful, right? It doesn't matter how right, right. or knowledgeable we are. I think about that as a as a teacher in poetry, in, like I have my online classes going on right now. It is, it is my job to tell people to share my knowledge as effectively as possible, but it's not about being right. It's about being helpful and, and delivering that knowledge to them in a way that they can receive it depending on, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're in their writing process, you know? And so to your boyfriend's, uh, approach to life right now, he has to realize that it's incredibly one-sided and that you mm-hmm. that you just want this simple level of respect to say like, ask me, ask me before you give it to me. Also like that's For sure. like to give you a lot of credit, like it must be hard living with somebody like that.
1: Absolutely. I could imagine. And I feel like Peter probably <laughs> <laughs> knows what it's like to live with someone like that. But I also wonder if like, it's so great that you and he, and he seemed to have this understanding of what his goals are, yeah. which is like efficiency. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, I yeah, wonder yeah, yeah.
1: if in those moments you could use that as a tool to help redirect and say, mm. and say something like, "Honey, I love you, um, but right now my goal isn't about efficiency; it's about learning this." Mm. Or my goal is not about efficiency right now. It's about trying this new thing Mm -hmm. and seeing and like learning it for myself or just giving it a try. Like my goal right now is not to be the fastest. My goal right now is to just have fun Mm. Um, and actually use that language to help him reframe in his head that sometimes the goal isn't always efficiency. Right. Which is like, I get it. Like that's a. I think that that is a great worldview to have, right? Like that's for sure a worldview that my dad taught me was like, how do you do the thing the most efficiently and do it in the right way? Um, But it's been really, it has been world opening for me to realize that efficiency and the right way aren't always the, the things that we should be pursuing and that there's a lot of joy and beauty in, in things outside of efficiency and quote unquote, right way to do things. And there's also like no right way to do things. Everyone, right, Like right, there's, right, right, there's right, right, no right, right. right way to, to do it. Right. <laughs> like legit. There's not, there are ways to do it yeah. that may increase efficiency, but efficiency is not always the goal. Right. So there's no right way to do things. And this
0: is another reason why, um, <laughs> perfectionist, why I, I'm like stressing therapy, although we always suggest it, it's because you are single handedly, hand, hand single-handedly trying to unpack um, your brain's entire understanding of the universe, right? (laughs) Like I think about that folks, like when you're trying to like, when you're working on head and heart work, you are hypothetically single-handedly trying to rewire a lifetime's worth of wiring and all, Mm. all of us need and could benefit from the assistance of just uh, not just a professional but like um, somebody who is trained in in being able to help us unwire these things right um, and i suggest it to you perfectionist because this the way that your brain approaches things is so ever present right like we cannot disconnect from our brains we cannot disconnect from a lot of our um, you know dad uh, you you sam cannot not think about the what, things your dad taught you right so you mm-hmm. you ask you turn to your therapist and your loved ones and yourself and resources to help you stay on track for your goals of unpacking some of that stuff, you know? So Absolutely. I would definitely, yep. definitely suggest therapy um, because it also gives you tools perfectionists to use for the rest of your life and in this relationship, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know? Um, and, and one more thing to that point, I've said this before, but all of you, all of you are whole, even as you become, right? You are a whole person right now, even as you are um, figuring out what the shape of your next couple years will be. You are whole, even as you realize that the way things are right now in your heart or your life aren't good enough you it's it's not that we work to become. we are whole as we become always, right. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that because like, it sounds like you feel like a sense of undoneness or, um, uh, that you're unfinished and your boyfriend is finished, right? That's not real. That's something that our anxiety is telling us to make us feel small and inadequate. Everybody's becoming, everybody's figuring out as, as they go, even if they are expert bikers who understand everything about gears, we're all still figuring it out. Absolutely. All right. So we hope that that helps. And um, I, I encourage you to have some open, vulnerable conversations with your boyfriend and, um, and we love you.
1: We love you. Thank you so much for writing. All right. That brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. Uh, This is when we try and set you up with something that we think that you're really going to like this week. Our blind date is.
0: Okay. So I've been meaning to talk about this for a long time and it's, perfectly timed with a lot of the conversations that we're having on the podcast and globally about being an anti-racist. And this is a graphic novel trilogy by Congressman John Lewis, co-written by and by Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell, or one of them is the illustrators. And it's called March and there's three books. And if anybody knows, um, this is like U.S. government history, but um, it talks about congressman john lewis who is a living legend right now um Mm -hmm. who uh it talks about his experience in um the fight for equality and justice for the past you know what is it going to be 60 years now or 70 years from the civil rights movement um and he through the graphic novel he talks about his experience as a young boy um, learning about uh, growing up in like the segregated South um, and talks about schools slowly being desegregated, segregated, um, the rise of uh, MLK. And what's really amazing is that he talks about the His participation um, and the formation of these nonviolent groups um, who at that time, they were called nonviolent not because they didn't break the law or anything, but because a lot of their protests involved sit-ins in which they were violently beaten by, um, you know, white people who didn't want them breaking laws. Right. Um, Uh anyway, I'm trying to summarize like the entirety of the civil rights movement in John Lewis's life (laughs) in five seconds, but I just can't tell you like how, um, compelling this book is. Um, it's a series of three graphic novels, um, beautifully illustrated, but it's so amazing to hear a firsthand account of what it was like to organize what it was like, not only to live as a black man, um, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, but what it was like to organize and the minds and the move, the minds behind the movement, the, um, the, the, the catalysts behind it, etc. cetera. Um, and I, I particularly wanted to suggest it, not just for our listeners, but for our listeners, children. Um, this mm-hmm. book is, doesn't pull any punches, um, you will read racial, racial slurs in it because that, and violence, because that's what happened, right? That's what this looked mm-hmm. like. That's what they were up against. But um, the reading level is, uh, I don't know the grade level, but um, depending on the maturity of your child, um, they could read it as early as um, maybe 10 or 11, um, definitely mm-hmm. 12 or 13. Um, and if, when we talk about doing anti-racist work, we talk about, um, what's important for us folks who like myself, who are planning to have um, children one day um, is to, it's not enough to teach diversity and love. We have to teach the history and the reason why we're fighting for all of this. Um, And the, Mm the, and the the history and current presence of uh, socio and economic injustices. Um, And so this is a great tool because it's a graphic novel that comes with um, beautiful illustrations for families who want to work on um, educating themselves on this movement that is honestly still happening today. So it's called March um, and the primary author is John Lewis.
1: Great. Love it.
0: It's so fucking good. And if you haven't read it, I'll lend it to you guys.
1: We have it. Oh, good. I'm glad. I've read it. Yep.
0: It's so good. Okay, continue.
1: All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at JustBreakUpPod. You can
0: slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise, which I have been told has been slightly delayed due to COVID. Um, so uh, just if you have an order waiting out there, just know that they're on a delayed timeline, but hopefully everybody is staying safe and healthy as they get you your Just Breakup merchandise.
1: Please leave us a five-star rating and review and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash just breakup pod. This literally helps us keep the mics on and it helps us reach more broken hearted souls who need two random strangers, giving them relationship advice,
0: original music, recording, editing, producing, and all badass things by our good friend, big cats. Make sure to check out his podcast, the what if podcast and remember. Your feelings are legitimate, but they are not you. They, just like so many other things in your life, are only a small part of who you are. You are so much more than anyone feeling, sensation, or action. You are so much more than your partnership or your singlehood. You are whole even as you become, even as you feel broken, even as you feel you've made a mistake. You are whole even as you become. And, if all else fails...
1: Just break up.